Blog Talk Radio. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Peter has gone from being a disciple who needed to be discipled to becoming our teacher, our inspired teacher, telling us to shepherd the flock of God. Because though you have not seen him, you what? Love him. How do you help someone you love serve the Lord more effectively? Well, the best place to look is the example of Christ himself. How did he lead and teach his disciples? Consider that today on Grace to You Weekend as John MacArthur looks at the transforming effect of loving Christ. 
It's part of his series, Lessons for a Modern Day Disciple. But before we get to this look at the transforming effect of love for Christ, we received a couple of letters from listeners who've experienced the transforming effects of studying the Word of God verse by verse. John, these are brief letters, but the stories are very encouraging. So take a few minutes to share these with our listeners. Yeah, thanks, Phil. The first letter comes from Michael, and uh, he says, Thanks to you, I am recovering from a life in works religion. I've been listening to your grace stream for about five years now, and it has completely changed my life. Your teaching has opened my eyes to so many things, I never knew how blind I actually was. I'm forever grateful for your clear interpretation of God's Word. Pastor John, thank you, and may God continue to bless you tremendously. Wow, that's great. You know, Grace Stream is a continuous loop of all of your sermons. We start at Matthew chapter 1 and go through the end of the book of Revelation nonstop. It takes weeks to do it. And then it just starts all over again. So people jump in at any point. It's interesting. He's been doing that for five years. Yeah, that would be that would be quite an education over five years. And Indeed. just a good opportunity for those of you who haven't gone into the Grace Stream to do it next time you come on the website. And the second letter from Caitlin, I am very grateful for your dedication to serving our Lord. Your radio messages have impacted my mother's salvation greatly. She was raised in works religion And God used your teaching to open her heart to his truth. She is completely a new person in Christ. My thanks to God for changing her, and my thanks to you for helping her understand God's truth. We both are greatly enriched by your teaching, signed Caitlin. Hmm. So these notes give us a glimpse of the power of the Word of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And we see that in a daily way through the ministry of grace to you. Grace to you is reaching people right where they are, right where they need us, through the radio program, through Grace Stream, as well as the Grace to You app, the Study Bible app, television broadcast, free books and booklets that we mail out by the thousands every month and more. And we know we cannot do any of this without your prayerful support. So we thank you for standing with us. Thanks for remembering our ministry and the people we are reaching with biblical truth every day. Thank you for bringing us before the Lord in your prayers. Yes, thank you, friend. You play a crucial role in this ministry. We are bringing biblical truth to people trapped in false religions and making resources like Grace Stream available free of charge every day because of your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. And now follow along with John MacArthur as he continues his study called Lessons for a Modern Day Disciple. From the heights of that elevated summation of the evidential and evangelistic purposes of the Gospel of John, from that elevated, glorious revelation of the risen Christ, we come to chapter 21, and it's like being dropped off a cliff and landing with a thud. Can't we just end with Christ? Why do we have to go back to Peter? This is a very disappointing narrative. At first, do we really need this? Can't we just go flying into the book of Acts and and to the Ascension and to the day of Pentecost and see that, Peter? Why do we need this one? There's an answer to that. It's 
because with all the glory that has come through to the end of chapter 20, eventually that glory ends up in clay pots. This is for us. This has to be part of the story. So how does Jesus, here's the question, how does Jesus disciple a disciple? How does Jesus restore a disobedient disciple? How did Jesus disciple a disobedient, weak, vacillating disciple? Do you love me? Shocking for its simplicity. There's no ambiguity in that, right? There's no ambiguity. There's no mystery. Do you love me? Always the question for a disobedient believer. Go right to the heart. Do you love me more than these? You mean more than these other disciples? <laughs> that wouldn't work. They were as guilty as he was. They all defected. They all went back to fishing. They were equally disobedient. No. Do you love me more than these boats and nets and corks and weights and anchors and trappings of your former life? Do you love me more than the stuff that made up your life? Which is like saying, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. You've got to let go of everything that made up your life. He uses the word agapao, the highest, noblest love of the will. Do you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than anything in this world? I think Peter must have been very sorrowful. He said to him, verse 15, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he changed the word. He didn't use agapao, the highest, noblest love of the will. He dropped it down a notch. He said, I, I love you, and he used phileo, which simply means a warm affection. I like you a lot. Why did he do that? Because he was exposed. He was guilty. He was broken. He was humbled. He would have been a fool to say, I love you at the highest, noblest level. He couldn't say that. He says, Lord, you know, you know that I like you a lot. Say, that's a sad admission. Well, isn't it kind of sad to have to depend on omniscience? I mean, it isn't even obvious you've got to call on omniscience. He didn't say, Lord, you've seen my life. Isn't it obvious? No. He said, um, I have to call on your omniscience, and you know that I have deep affection for you. Let me tell you something. I think that moment was a moment of blessing. I think it's a blessing when the Lord knows everything and He knows that we love Him, even when it's not obvious. I'll say it another way. I'm glad that the Lord knows the things I desperately want Him to know, and that is such a blessing to me. I'm okay if He knows the things I really don't want Him to know. I need Him to know I love Him. Because sometimes it's not obvious. He knows I love Him truly. I don't love Him as I should. My love isn't everything it should be, but it's real. That's what Peter's saying. Amazingly. I mean, this is amazing. 
The Lord says to him, Basque my lambs, shepherd my lambs. This is his ordination. You're accepted. Really? After all the ridiculous things that Peter has done, and here's just previous to this, another evidence of his impulsive disobedience, he puts him right back in the ministry, feed my lambs. And I, I would just tell you to look at the look at the pronoun here, personal pronoun. They're mine, and I'm turning them over to you. With far less than perfect love, the Lord deserves and desires, with love lower in quality than the Lord receives from all those who are around him in heaven. Peter is restored to the ministry with a love that isn't even visible to anyone except the Lord in His omniscience. Feed my lambs, my little ones, young, tender, weak, vulnerable, prone to wander, prone to stray. I'm putting them in your hands. said to him a second time in verse 16, Simon, son of John or Jonas, do you love me? Agapao. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Okay. Poimino, shepherd my sheep. Third time. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time he dropped down to Peter's word. And he questioned even the lower level love that Peter thought he could get away with. Do you really have strong affection for me? This really hurt. This probes into Peter's heart. This is a spiritual biopsy. Cuts some of Peter's soul open. And Peter was grieved. Lupeo. To have a pain, a deep pain or grief in the heart. Not because it was the third time. He needed three times. After all, he had denied the Lord three times. It wasn't because it was the third time. It was because the third time the Lord questioned even the love that he thought he could get by with. And again, he calls on omniscience. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. It's always clay pots, isn't it? With all our flaws and all our failures, all He asks out of us is that in His omniscience, He knows our love is not perfect, but it's real. It's real. Now this love has a cost. Verse 18, Okay, Peter, you love me? Truly, truly, I say to you, 25 times in the Gospel of John we have that little formula, meaning something very important. This is a verbal call to attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, put on your own clothes, walk wherever you wished, did what you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. What in the world does that mean? It's a euphemism for crucifixion. When you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. 
how do you know it's his crucifixion? Because the next statement is, he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. History tells us he was crucified. Deny yourself, and then what? Take up your cross. This is a living illustration of Luke 9.23. Peter, you will be arrested and you will be executed by crucifixion. You will be a martyr. Welcome back into the ministry. Remember when I told you if they hated me, they will hate you? Say, oh, Lord, give the guy a break. What are you telling them that for? Wow. Do you want to live your whole life thinking around every corner as your crucifixion? Why did you tell him that? I think it was the best news Peter ever heard in his life. What? Yeah. Because what it told Peter is this. The next time you face death for me, you will not deny me. I think he lived in the triumph of that promise. That's the best news he ever heard. That steeled him for the future. And then, on the day of Pentecost, he was given the fullness of the Spirit, and he was dynamite right down to being crucified. And when he was to be crucified, he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified like his Lord, so he asked to be crucified upside down. Can you imagine him saying, I'm not going to fail again. When it happens, I'm not going to fail again. I'm not going to fail. He had no confidence in himself. He had no history of faithfulness. In the face of danger, he was a disaster. The promise that he would face death triumphantly and die was the best news he could have ever heard. This is like Luke 14:26. If any man comes after me and doesn't hate his own life, he can't be my disciple. Do you love me? Do you love me enough to deny yourself? Do you love me enough to take up a cross if that's what I ask? Do you love me that much? There's one other component. This is love that not only demands a sacrifice, but it demands obedience. Look at verse 19 again. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Again, those are the three components of Luke 9.23. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. He says, follow me. Love that sacrifices in the face of death is love that obeys in life. But like everything else with Peter, everything is hard. Everything. Verse 20, the Lord says, follow me. Next statement, Peter turning around. Give me a break. This is impossible. Give, move down one notch to Andrew or somebody else. Are you kidding me? So Peter turns around, sees John, and um, he says, Lord, verse 21, what about him? I mean, this is remediation beyond comprehension. And then you have one, really one of the funniest statements. And Jesus didn't say a lot of funny things, but this is funny. 
He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? If, if he lives to the second coming, it's none of your business. <laughs> that's called hyperbole. That's not only hyperbole, that's sarcasm. That is dripping sarcasm. I mean, and that's what you say when you finally become so exasperated with your kids that you resort to dripping hyperbolic sarcasm. What about him? I'm going to die, right? I'm going to die. What about him? I'm telling you, Peter is a constant project. It's irrelevant, Jesus says. It is irrelevant if I want him to live till the second coming. And so, of course, the rumor went out. You know what I heard? John is going to live till the second coming. <laughs> the saying went out among the brethren, verse 23, that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he wouldn't die, only that if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Irrelevant. Well, they became buddies, didn't they? Peter and John. So this is, this is emphatic, the statement that our Lord gives in the original. You follow Me. You, verse 22. You follow Me. Forget about anybody else. Again, this is, this is Luke 9.23. Deny yourself. Face death. Follow me. John did die 30 years after Peter, by the end of the first century, most likely on the island of Patmos. 30 years really after both Peter and Paul were martyred. So the Gospel of John, the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ, rich, exalted, theological, profound, presenting the Son of God as the I Am, demonstrating His glorious deity by words and works, leading to the massive, glorious conclusion of chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. That glorious conclusion is where the Gospel reaches its zenith. We tumble from the end of chapter 20, from the pristine heights of glory, down to the difficulty of putting this glory in earthen vessels. That's us. And all the Lord asks is this, do you what? Love me. I'll accept less than a perfect love, but not less than a real love. Peter learned his lessons. Turn to 1 Peter 5, and that's where we'll wrap up. 1 Peter 5. Now Peter's going to talk to us as a faithful shepherd. I'm glad he finally got here, aren't you? Peter writes, Therefore I exhort the elders among you. That's us as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. You know what he's doing? He's repeating exactly what Jesus said to him three times. 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter has gone from being a disciple who needed to be discipled to becoming our teacher, our inspired teacher, telling us to shepherd the flock of God. Because though you have not seen Him, you what? Love Him. I love how Peter closes his letter. Greet one another with a kiss of love. <laughs> Peace be to you all who are in Christ. This is Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. Thanks for being with us. John's current study is showing you some of the most practical and important lessons for a modern-day disciple. Now, earlier today, John read two letters from people whose lives have been transformed by Grace to You's verse-by-verse teaching. Keep in mind, we can minister to those people and to others just like them around the world because of the support of listeners like you. To play a strategic part in this gospel ministry, express your support today. Write to Grace to You Weekend, Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. Or you can call us toll-free at 855-GRACE. Or you can go to our website, gty.org. Please remember that giving to your local church comes first. We affirm that. But if Grace to You has made a difference in your life, or if you can think of specific ways that we've helped you grow spiritually, prayerfully consider making a donation. You can call us at 855-GRACE, or you can donate online at gty.org. And at our website, be sure you take advantage of a popular free Bible study tool called Grace Stream. It's a unique way to listen to John's teaching through the New Testament. It starts in Matthew and goes all the way through Revelation verse by verse, and then it starts over again. You simply hop in wherever John is teaching and you hear sermon after sermon. It helps you get into God's Word fast so that you can absorb more of it. Try Grace Stream for free at gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson, encouraging you to be here next week when John answers one of the most important questions for all modern-day disciples of Christ. Who is Christ's slave? It's another half hour of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace To You Weekend. at truthbetoldradio.com that is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M truthbetoldradio.com Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. 
Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as Truth, the letter B, then Told Radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, Told Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. God hates pride. This is Ken Ham, author of the new devotional commentary on Genesis, Creation to Babel. The month of June is now known by many as Pride Month. Now at the heart of this celebration is the sin of pride. And pride comes from a rebellious heart, one that rejects the authority of the Creator. A proud person ultimately claims to know better than God and His Word. They believe that inventing their own rules and celebrating their own desires are greater than what God has commanded in his word. It puts a focus squarely on us rather than on God. And the Bible is very clear about pride. God hates a prideful heart and he will oppose the proud. Instead of celebrating pride, people need to repent and turn to Christ for forgiveness. Discover more about a biblical worldview regarding sexuality, marriage, and more at AnswersRadio.com. And listen to this program again or view a free transcript at AnswersRadio.com.
The first sin. This is Ken Ham, and our popular 510 foot long Noah's Ark is located south of Cincinnati. This week, we're talking about Pride Month, a secular celebration of rebellion against God's design. Our culture today treats pride like a good thing, but pride is a sin. In fact, it was the first sin. In the garden, Eve believed God was selfishly withholding what she wanted, so she took the fruit and ate, and then offered it to Adam, who also ate. At the heart of their rebellion was pride in their own thinking and lust after what they wanted. This sin broke creation and brought death and the curse into God's very good creation. Pride is still a huge temptation for all of us and it always leads to more sin and brokenness. Plan your visit to the full-size Noah's Ark at the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Kids are free for 2023, so bring the whole family. Visit AnswersRadio.com.
The Root of All Sin? This is Ken Ham, and we produce the highly popular Answers Bible Curriculum. Sadly, the month of June is now celebrated as Pride Month, but Pride isn't worth celebrating because rebelliously thumbing our nose at our Creator is a sin, and it leads to more and more sin. Consider this. The prophet Ezekiel said the people of Judah had committed sin like the city of Sodom, which was destroyed by God in judgment. Ezekiel says the first sin of Sodom was pride, and pride led to other sins. That included forsaking the poor and engaging in homosexual relations. Pride always leads to more sin as we arrogantly think more of ourselves and less of God and His revealed Word. The answer to pride is faith in Christ. Find out more about God's Word and a biblical view of marriage and sexuality when you visit our faith-building website, AnswersRadio.com. You'll want to go to AnswersRadio.com. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a This is my story. 
A Battle of Pride. This is Ken Ham, author of the eye-opening book, Six Days and Church Compromise. Sadly, many in the church are embracing LGBT pride. Now, such acceptance assumes we know more about love, mercy, and acceptance, as defined by us, than our God, who is love, rich in mercy, and invites all to receive salvation. And this God of love, mercy, and forgiveness has defined marriage as between one man and one woman. The battle over marriage and gender being waged right now in the church is about much more than marriage or gender. It's ultimately about pride. Will we allow God, our creator and judge, to be our authority? Or will we exalt our own beliefs above God and his word? God is the authority. Find out more about God's word, the gospel, and how the Bible applies to the world around us when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. There's more to learn at AnswersRadio.com.
Heaven Rules. This is Ken Ham, editor of the eye-opening book Glasshouse, Shattering the Myth of Evolution. Throughout this month in America, rainbow flags will be seen in parades. Many people will put on rainbow-themed attire to celebrate pride. But these individuals aren't really celebrating sexual diversity. They're actually celebrating rebellion against God. But as Daniel warned the proud pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, we must warn our generation that heaven rules, and also warn them that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But it's not too late. God offers salvation to all through his Son. Jesus paid our sin debt. All who turn to him receive forgiveness and eternal life. So come to Christ today. Discover more about the gospel message when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll find out about the free gift of salvation that Christ offers to all at AnswersRadio.com. Are you good enough to go to heaven? Let's see. Have you lied, stolen, blasphemed, or looked with lust, which God sees as adultery? If you have, then you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. And if you are guilty, you will end up in hell. But God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and defeat death. You broke God's law, but Jesus paid your fine. God can now legally dismiss your case. Repent, trust in Jesus, and God will give you everlasting life. Needgod.com
earth He did it to show off his glory and worth In Genesis 1, what we see in each verse Is God made a world that is truly diverse From icebergs to insects, tornadoes to trees From lions to lizards, flamingos to fleas Each in their own way, they God they are praising The differences cry out, God is amazing But the crown jewel of the work of his hands Are made in his image, both woman and man We're not accidents, we are part of his plan Yup, God made me and you
Washington Reef News out of Haiti, the largest, most powerful earthquake in the region's history. The federal judge's ruling is allowed to stand. This year's National Day of Prayer could likely be the country's last. I will be done.
So fish with this is my father's world. And now I'm gonna do this is a recording from Living Waters uh YouTube page and it's called Richard Dawkins X right hand man comes to Christ. Here on Truth Be Told Radio. Josh, there have been those moments in my life where I've had to step back and almost pinch myself and say, what in the world am I doing here? What is going on? How did this happen? And I know this is the surreal experience for Ray, myself, and Oscar. Uh, All of it we have encountered with Dawkins and the whole atheist realm. And now we're sitting here with the guy who was at one time kind of Richard Dawkins' right-hand man. Is this as surreal for you as it is for us? Yeah, it is absolutely <laughs> surreal. No, like when you were back in the day hanging out with Dawkins and doing Banana Man stuff, I mean, the thought that you'd be sitting here with the Banana Man, just like two feet from you, man. Yeah, he's not that far away. Yeah, he's yeah. right there. When Daniel, my son, said, I've got an email here that you're going to really love, I thought, what's he talking about? And to think that you came to faith in Jesus, and then to think that you were Richard Dawkins' right hand man, and then. The icing, the double icing on the cake was that you were there for the Banana Man fiasco. That just thrilled my heart. So we're really excited to hear your story. So, Josh, take us back, man. I mean, we want to yeah. kind of go back in time and connect with how this entire journey started for you. I mean, we've got Oscar here. He's going to chime in quite a bit today. Oscar, you used to be an atheist, as those who have watched any of our videos or listened to our podcasts know. He wasn't just an atheist. He was hardcore. Yeah. And yeah. Stacks, look, we got yeah. some stacks right there. <laughs> Personal library. Oscar's books, his atheist books, is in Dawkins and stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm really curious. Uh, you know, Josh, it seems like we, we share a lot of parallels. How did you sure. – uh, how did you find yourself declaring yourself as an atheist? Like, give us give us that journey, how you got there. Yeah, I mean, that's probably back when I was around, like, 17, 18, okay. that era. Um, I, was, I was raised in a Christian home, you know, had Christian parents, and we went to church. It was, you know, and uh, I think just like a lot of people, I started drifting away a bit where um, things weren't quite as exciting as I, you know, in the church. And we just kind of were doing our own thing. I was playing music and getting out into that world. And there's a lot of things you wanted to do, and the church didn't really line up with that, you know. And I, I was exposed to, like, Dawkins and some of those other atheist authors around that time and, and reading those. And it's kind of a combination of things when you look back at it. It's hard to put your finger exactly on one thing. But I think for me it was a, a bit of, well, this is the life I want to lead. This sounds fairly plausible to an 18-year-old kid. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds like an explanation for things. And, and I think at that time, too, you're, you're growing out of a lot of things. You're, you're kind of becoming – like, oh, you know, the Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and that kind of stuff. Right. right. And you say, like, well, this is probably part of that package, you know, that I'm yeah. just going to shed this and, and grow up. And, you know, you get a little chip on your shoulder that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm graduating here, you know. And uh, I think that's a little bit of it. And also, yeah, the desire to just do what you want to do, you know. Atheism is a really useful worldview for weak men. Hmm. And, and I mean weak in many different senses. But for me, I look back at it and say, well, Externally, you're going with the flow. You're part of the the, the secular culture, right? You're, you're you're in agreement, and and that's a very safe, like herd position to be in. Yeah, uh, especially in the modern America, right? The flip side of that internally is complete freedom. It's like, well, you know, in my own right. inner life, there's no consequence. There's no reason for me to not do what I feel like doing in my inner life. So I feel like it's something that. When I look back at myself and, and you know, I'm, I'm putting myself labeled as a weak man at that point, like 18 years old, 
about Does the Dawkins have an influence on you? Yeah, I read The Selfish Gene when I was 18, and that was the first one I read. I, I read the other ones, Extended Phenotype, Blind Watchmaker, Climbing Mountain Probable. And uh, so I'd run through a bunch of his books. And so what books did he dedicate to? I Got a Thank You in the God Delusion. That's, that's this one here. So uh, wow. this one is more famous one. Yeah, that, was yeah, probably, that, that would probably be the one I think most would connect with him. Yeah, it's his uh, first New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Right? yeah. When I started working with, with him, it was sort of right before The God Delusion came out. It was 2006. Um, and so I got a thank you in there, and then I got uh, The Greatest Show on Earth. I got a, uh, a dedication. Book wow. Dedication for Here you are. You're a young man. You kind of drift into this realm, like you said. Yeah. And then you start reading Dawkins' stuff. Maybe that was surreal for you as well when then you got connected with them. So how did that happen? How did you guys actually make that first connection? Around that time, I was playing in bands. I was living in L.A. I was you know, a musician. And uh, me and my now wife, Marine, we were uh, doing a bunch of different projects. We were, were kind of into this whole, like, betterment of humanity kick. Where we were trying different things, you know, as, as atheists, sort of yeah. like, well, what are we going to do? How can we help out in this way or that? And, uh, and so we got hooked up with this project in India. And it was a nonprofit that was helping these farmers in this village, these women farmers, and like helping them get loans and some other things. Somehow my wife figured this out, that we were going to go and we're going to spend a month there in India. It was just crazy there. Like We were like staying in a hut, you know, basically with spiders crawling up the walls, you know. And <laughs> but we uh, had scheduled this trip, and I think it was when Root of All Evil, Richard's uh, documentary was on Channel 4 in the U.K., I'd seen it on a blog. Somebody had posted it in the United States. I don't think it aired in the U.S. yet. I was on this blog that I would go to a lot that they were posting it, and I said, oh, does he have a website? And somebody said, no, he doesn't really have his own. There's some stuff through the university, and, of course, there's stuff all over the web. Yeah. And I said, oh, well, does anybody have his email? You know, I'll shoot him an email. I'll see if he wants me to build him something. And somebody had his email on this blog. They're like, yeah, I got his, yeah, I actually did some. So somebody privately messaged me and said, actually, I do have his email. You know, wow. don't spread it, but here it is. And so I shot him an email. It was probably like 2 in the morning, you know, and, but it's eight hours ahead. So I got an email back like in 10 minutes. And I said, do you have a website? Do you want me to build something for you? I'd love to just do something for you. Through that, we had a little bit of conversation over email. And uh, then I said, I'm doing this trip to India. On my way back, we met. Uh, and uh, so he I stopped in, in in London. In London, he was one of our connections. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Maybe he thought I was something more special than I am. You know, like <laughs> jet setter. But no, it was just we were stopping over in India. And so we got to you know meet face to face. And I think maybe that's what maybe let him trust me a little bit that I wasn't crazy. And um, and so I went back to LA and just started working on the site and started pulling articles from all these other places and just combining everything and. He said, I'm working on this new book called The God Delusion. It's coming out in the fall, so we were getting everything ready. And so um, I'd collected a bunch of content for the site, and we launched it right about the same time. And uh, it did take off pretty good out of the gate for that. So we, you know, we ended up being like a top 10,000 on Alexa, one of those ranking sites, you know, on the web. So, wow. So it's around the time of uh, revival of new atheism. Yeah. yeah. Post-9-11 is kind of when the new yeah. atheism really started to take off. Josh, was it exciting for you, I mean, to, to be connected with this kind of poster boy for atheism? I mean, he kind of is, you know, in a yeah. sense. He's probably the most renowned. Uh, I mean, you have others, you know, Hitchens and Sam Harris and others. But but Dawkins almost seems to be kind of like uh, the godfather, godfather yeah. of atheism. But what, yeah. what, what was that like to you, and w what was your connection like? I mean, did you feel a synergy with him? He seems like 
a really nice person in, in one sense. That's pretty charming. <laughs> Not for Dre Comfort. But, no, I mean, he, he seems to have a charm about him. He's witty. He's, he's funny. Uh, so what was that like for you? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think when you work with people, I, maybe you guys know this, sometimes you just hit it off with people and you're like, oh, I get this guy. Like, I know, yeah. what, I know what he's about. I know what he is looking to do, what he wants to do. And I think we just clicked really easily, you know, and it was like he kind of saw that I was a go-getter and, and wanted to do some, you know, a lot of stuff. And, and, you know, from being in bands, I always point back to that. as That was how I learned to be you know, knew just enough to be dangerous in a whole bunch of different spaces, like yeah. how to build a website, how to design stuff and uh, graphic design or video editing. And so I think he saw that I could just run with stuff, and yeah. he was excited for that. Were you there when he got his I Love Ray Comfort tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> no. So, Ray, I mean, so all of this for you really came to a head when, when the whole Banana Man stick <clears throat> came out with Dawkins. Do you remember when you first saw that or or – Someone sent you a video? Or yeah, I was horrified. Someone came to my office and said, you're all over the Internet. And I thought, how could I be all over the Internet? <laughs> Josh, do you recall that time, like, when that came under your guys' radar and what those conversations were like? Yeah, I think the first person who posted it was PZ Myers. Oh, oh yeah. Peringula, his blog. <laughs> and he's in Minnesota. He's an atheist blogger. And of course. He, uh, at the time, Richard was interacting with him a bit. And I think he just sort of met him online and um, – and so he had posted something about it, I think, with the first one of the group. And then he had sent it to Richard, and then it came on my desk at some point, And, you know, I posted it on the site. And, um, you know, I think <laughs> it was, hey, he brought you here for vengeance. <laughs> was this a vengeance? Yeah, this is what I'm going to get. Yeah. So I, mean, I think in the uh, what documentary was it you guys did? The, um, the pool. The right. pool. I think yeah. you showed it. You showed the post. I was like, "Hey, I posted that." Oh no way! <laughs> so do you recall conversations with Richard Dawkins about that whole thing? In the beginning, it was just the sharing of it. Like, "Oh, see this little skit, it's funny," yeah. and, and they like kind of poking at it, and they wanted to post it, and uh, and got the the laughs that it did. And but then there was the second half of it, which was the uh, there was started circulating that well, he's done this bit before. And it's actually part of a larger bit with a Coke can. Richard sent it to me and said, have you seen this, this older version of it? And it's a, a, a Christian audience. And yeah, so they're laughing. It's nodding in England. Okay, yeah. yeah. And it looked like it was about 10 years prior, just from yeah. video, right? Here is a Christian audience in England in the same year. Billions of years ago, there was a big bang in the space. Nobody knows what caused the Big Bang, it just happened. And from the Big Bang issued a huge rock. And on top of the rock was found a sweet, bubbly substance. And over millions of years, aluminum crept up aside and formed itself into a can, a lid, and then a tap. And then millions of years later, red paint, white paint, just a little bit of green paint, fell from the sky and formed itself in the word Coca-Cola. Twelve fluid ounces. <laughs> Do not listen. Say, man, what are you doing? You're insulting my intellect. And so I am. You know, if the Coca-Cola can is made, there must be a maker. If it's designed, there must be a designer. <laughs> Behold, the atheist nightmare. <laughs> now, if you study a well-made banana, you'll find on the far side there are three ridges. On the close side, two ridges. If you get your hand ready to grip a banana, you'll find on the far side three grooves, close side two grooves. The banana and the hand are perfectly made, one for the other. 
you'll find the maker of the banana, Almighty God, has made it with a non slip surface. <laughs> and his outward indicators of inward contents green too early, yellow just right, black too late. <laughs> now, if you go to the top of the banana, you'll find the maker, as with the Coca Cola can make it, just place a tab at the top for ease of entry. <laughs> when you pull the tab, the contents don't squirt in your face. <laughs> You'll find the wrapper, which is biodegradable, has perforations, like your pad paper. It has four perforations. Notice how gracefully it sits over the human hand. <laughs> Notice the point at top for ease of entry, just the right shape for the human mouth. Chewy, <laughs> palatable, good for you. And the maker has even curved it toward the face to make the whole process <laughs> so much easier. That's if you get it the right way around. <laughs> we were looking at it, and he, he sent me the email asking, he said, do you think this is real? Do you think that this is uh, a legit video? And he said, can you do anything forensically to see if it was fake? He, he was saying that what I'd done was serious. I really was saying, this is proof of God. And yet I said it was a parody. It was a skit. It was funny. So suddenly we had video that proved it was funny because the audience were laughing. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it kind of broke the, the his vision of it. For, yeah, the way he saw it, it right, broke right. it apart. So do you, do you really think he legitimately thought that we actually inserted laugh tracks into this thing? I, or, I, or was it desperation? Like, let's find something. <laughs> I think he did. I think he really did just think it was like, oh, maybe Ray's doing this to save face. But he yeah. knew that it stung. The humor of it is a little layered when you have someone like him who he – He's obviously poking fun at it. Yeah. He's making his layer of joke on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of two ships passing in the night where he doesn't see the humor that you're bringing to it in the initial joke. And, and obviously with the cocaine analogy in the bigger picture, yeah. he didn't see it in that context. He wasn't thinking of it in terms of ridicule of the way that it was meant to be yeah. received. Right. So, so he's looking at it, not understanding. I think it literally was a misunderstanding. Do you think that's uh, a systemic issue with Dawkins or other atheists where they're not, um, you know, in that situation, he's not interacting with the actual conversation, the actual argument that's put forward. He's strawmanning a, a humorous moment, right? Do you see that as a systemic issue within Dawkins and other atheists where they're not actually interacting with the arguments. Instead, they're, they're strawmanning. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of just, I think, yelling at each other, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's something, uh, it's a danger whenever you interact with anyone, you know, even as a Christian, to interact with somebody and to say, to just be preaching at them as mm-hmm. opposed to having a conversation. So, and I think the internet's horrible for this, right? 100%. Uh, you know, uh, YouTube videos and a reaction to the YouTube videos right. and a reaction to that, you know, you just get layered in an echo chamber. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times it's just, you know, it, it's more of that dopamine hit that yeah. somebody just wants to see something funny. And, you know, somebody's on an atheist forum saying, I want to get a little chuckle this morning and yeah. ah, look at this dumb thing. You know, right. Move yeah. on. Well, Josh, we, we want to, in a little bit, get into your testimony. Of course, we want to hear about what happened. You know, what was the change? We want to look at some videos now, but, but before we do that, and we want to have you comment on that, I just want to say for, for anyone who's watching that it, it's real important that people know our heart toward Richard Dawkins. We care about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray and I have him on our prayer list. We regularly lift him up before the Lord. We love him. We want to see him come to know Christ. So 
this isn't a Richard Dawkins bashing thing, or is it, Ray? No, I, I've sent him four gift baskets over the years. Oh, yeah, you made him a leather jacket. You <laughs> got a leather jacket, and he I made, no, made it for him, but Richard never, never you know, That's received right. it. But Ray made a video about it. That's that right. Was and a, I, that I, was a nice jacket. It, it had those fringes. I used to make leather jackets to order oh, people. Yeah, I sent him uh, gift baskets in uh, Australia when he visited Australia. Did it have bananas in it? They all had bananas. <laughs> and a little note that it was from me, Banana Man. Yeah. One when he was in New Zealand, I'd find out where he was going and send it. So I'd be waiting in his room when he, was, when he arrived, one in the U.K. and one when he visited the U.S. So he knows what I really care about. Yeah, no, we genuinely do. But this is a story that has to get out there. I mean, people have to know that God is at work because I think – I think what happens oftentimes is people see others in that realm and subconsciously they get this idea of, oh, man, they're beyond, you know. Mm. Well, you're, you're living proof that, that a person is not Oscar sure. is living proof yeah. in that regard. All of us have testimonies. God is at work. He's yeah. still saving. That blood that was shed so long ago, so far away, is still trickling through the ages, touching, healing, saving. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're excited about that. But we want to look at some, some different clips right now that we have, those that we want you to, to comment on. Some okay. I see a much younger Josh in that picture. What's going on in that scene? This is probably 2009 in Minnesota. We went and filmed some stuff with PZ Meyer uh, for the website. So here I am filming uh, against the green screen in his university. We just sat up there in the front when it was school was closed. And so we're Do you remember the content? This was some evolution shorts. These actually I don't think saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, that we had filmed these sort of right about the time before I, I separated from working with them. Ray, uh, PZ Myers is one of those guys that you actually spoke with face-to-face, and uh, he's an interesting fella. I liked him very much. Um, he's very honest, blatantly honest in some things, and saying that some things that atheists say are ridiculous. Yeah. And so I really liked him. I heard he was in L.A. It was an atheist convention. It was fun just walking through and saying hi to all the guys there. <laughs> and then he, he said he'd do the interview. So we sat down and did an interview, and we used it in Evolution vs. God. Did Hitler put in the practice survival of the fittest? No. Was he doing that? He was murdering people. That's survival of the fittest. That's survival of the fittest. Is it the lion eating the antelope? Uh, no, there's much more to evolution than just this kind of crude kill and be killed model that you have in your head. I have seen a, a quote from Richard Dawkins saying evolution in its rawest is incredibly cruel. Yes. Was Hitler putting evolution into practice? Uh, that does not mean it is moral. Nobody's, was immoral. Uh, nobody's claiming that evolution is a moral process. Evolution is a very harsh and cruel process. It, it's one of my favorites just because I know when you're interacting with him, I think you, you mainly were trying to pin him on, are you saying that we're the relatives of bananas, right? Didn't you yes. say that to him? Yes. Do you think we're relatives of bananas? He says, yes. <laughs> we're fish. He says, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I think this might have been Austin, Texas, actually. This was on one of his speaking tours, and this is, I think we set the shot up because we all had Mac laptops time, <laughs> and so we thought it was funny. But this was prepping for a talk that night and just going over some stuff, probably checking out some websites. So you guys spent quite a bit of time together. I mean, were you with him tours usually? Usually what it would be is on the tours we'd meet up and, and do stuff. You know, we did some other filming events where we'd get together. There's the, the Galapagos trip we did yeah. um, and some other filming. Okay, so that's that's the Justin Bieber version of John. <laughs> I was about to say, tell me about the hair. Yeah. <laughs> So where was that? What was going on there? I was much cooler back then. Uh, 
pre-dad, Josh. No. Yeah. Uh, this was in Arizona at another conference, and this was at somebody's house in uh, a really nice house somewhere in Arizona. He had a big house. And, okay, so we talked about uh, your, your island trip here. What was that like? I mean, being with Richard Dawkins on the Galapagos Islands. A, he had signed up to do a trip to Galapagos with, uh, I think it was Center for Inquiry, which is one of these atheist organizations, and he was doing it as a speaker for a small group. It was about 100 people on the boat, and he said, well, why don't we go and film a bunch of content for the website? And so I got invited to this trip, and so we brought a bunch of camera gear and lugged it over the islands, and there was a lot of sweating on that trip. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> together for a T-shirt for richarddawkins.net, it was actually one of our first pieces of merch that we did on the website. Mm. And I made a big red A, like scarlet A, sort of like the Nathaniel Hawthorne reference. And then we put richarddawkins.net under it. We thought, well, people will know it means atheist when it says Richard Dawkins on it. Mm. So that was kind of the connection. So really simple. A lot of people like that because if you didn't know who he was, that they would say, oh, it's just a shirt with an A on it. So yeah. it was a little under the radar. It was a little cooler than just having yeah. atheists across the channel. And that's become God. an international icon, really. Yeah. Those early years, that was pretty pretty popular online. Like yeah. you'd see it pop up in forums. People would use it as like profile pictures. Do you remember that, Oscar? Yeah, I do. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. And you, you created that. Yeah, I still see it. I, I don't believe it had a creator. <laughs> Maybe did. It evolved yeah. on its own. Well, it, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not much of a logo. It's the Zapfino font A, you know, with some slight modifications. Yeah. I can't say that I really designed anything fancy. <laughs> um, they started injecting themselves into us trying to film this documentary, and it kind of blew up and into a disagreement, and things fell apart a bit. When we came back after filming that documentary, um, it was me and my wife had been working on it, and um, she had a long career in the film industry and, and had done a a bunch of movies and really knew what she was doing. And um, both of us had just kind of felt like we were kind of at the end of the, the story with, with this stuff. We, we were just kind of over it. Yeah. We decided we were going to move on. So I sent an email to Richard and I said, I'm going to separate. I'm not going to be a part of your work anymore. And I'm going to move on, do something else. And instead of there being an amicable separation, instead we ended up, uh, they, us a very vindictive lawsuit and you had told him that you were ready and willing to hand everything over so he could continue his operation yeah but you just wanted you just kind of wanted to be away from it and separate yeah we were ready to move on and we were trying to you know we were running a store for him you know essentially we had my business was selling his t-shirts his books um, a lot of this other paraphernalia so uh, we were just trying to hand all this stuff over and move yeah. on my name got drugged through the mud pretty hard. And, mm. and it, it's a difficult thing to go through because your lawyers just tell you to shut up. They say, well, just let the courts work it out. And you say, okay. You know, uh, well, you know but it, it was about three years that we went through trying to, you know, just clear our names essentially. Yeah. And so um, thankfully I had all the documentation and emails that showed that, you know, I, I was in the right, that they, what they were saying was a lie. So I, uh, uh, first, they got their case dismissed by the judge, and then we countersued, and then they settled with us out of court. Wow. Was that just like a radically distressing time for you and your wife? Absolutely. Walk us through kind of your mindset uh, in that process, like looking at it from a worldview perspective. How, how were you analyzing what was going on? As an unbeliever. Yeah, at the time, it didn't really shake my atheism. If, if I can say that, you know, it was like I, I didn't say, well, now I'm not an atheist anymore. Yeah. It was like, well, 
they're doing something to me in this moment that is very wrong and I need to clear my name and it's clearly a, a strong disagreement, but I was still an atheist, you know, and I was still holding on to that. That's my worldview and that's how things are. And Was there a back and forth between you and Richard or did he just cut you off right then and hand it over to the lawyers? Like after you emailed him and said, I'm walking away, did he try to dissuade you? Was he like, hey, Josh, what's going on? I emailed Richard, he emailed back. And at a certain point, though, the lawyers get involved, and they sort of put up a blockade. Yeah. And both sides say, stop talking, mm-hmm. and anything you're going to say is potential fodder for mm-hmm. issues in the legal process. Was that hard for you to, to lose the friendship? Because, I mean, from what you said, it wasn't Richard that had caused this disruption. It was this unstable yeah. person. So was it difficult for you, having built that friendship, to now lose that? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I think, that, you know, it's hard to... I mean, I still think to this day, like, I don't think Richard and I ever had a real beef. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, he and I, he had a stroke. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, um, I shot him a quick email then Mm -hmm. when he had the stroke and just said, hey, I'm really sorry to hear that happened. You know, hope you're doing okay. Did he respond? Uh, And he did. He's like, Josh, I'm deeply touched. Oh, Um, that's good. Thinking of me. That is really good. So I I don't think it was ever really between me and him. Yeah. Unfortunately, celebrity has a way of attracting um, mosquitoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, people are attracted to it sometimes, and they're very afraid of losing their connection to the celebrity as well. Yeah. And I think that can breed some really bad relationships. Right. And I think that's kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People don't quite realize, and I think even when, when you're an atheist, you don't realize how much of a community is developed. Right. Mm-hmm. This, this, like you, you find fellow believers uh, who resonate with you, who are pointing you in one direction or another. And so you find a sense of community in that process of that lawsuit while everyone was likely taking Dawkins Richard's side. Mm-hmm. Did you feel um, excommunicated, disconnected from that atheistic community? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit uh, there's a little bit of shunning going on. Yeah, time, for sure. I remember that season for myself. Like, I remember reaching out to my old friends and telling them I was getting baptized, and I invited them to baptism, and it was just like a firestorm. Mm, and like, really? it was, yeah, it was the beginning <laughs> of the end of these friendships. It kind of made me realize, like, these these friends are here because of what we believe uh, and not yeah. because of who I am, you know? Well, right, even for you, we've talked about this before. After you came to Christ, you had a circle of friends, and then things just changed. Oh, yes, I remember going to church just brand new believer walking as you told him my Bible and the guy rode past on a bike and told me I was number one. He has a friend. He was not happy that I was going to church holding a Bible. Mm. And I thought, what is going on here? I, you know, I thought I was friends with that guy, but you certainly get cut off. Yeah. yeah. So Josh, what was that like? Like just that process? Of- yeah. I mean, well, it was pretty instant cut off from the interesting thing was that I'd made a lot of relationships with other people that are in that space. You know, people like Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, Dan Dennett, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he was emailing with him and some other people was doing different website stuff with these guys. Yeah. Um, like I just had lunch with Sam Harris probably maybe a month or so before sort of the fallout happened. Wow. And we were still trying to finish that documentary, the Nate Phelps thing, because it was part of my company. So hmm. uh, we were in the process of trying to finalize it. And I reached out to Sam, like, hey, Sam, do you want to get lunch? Do you want to talk to him about him being uh, doing an interview for it? And, you know, it's crickets. Nobody, nobody would respond to anything. Yeah. You know? 
Michael Shermer is another one who was in town. Mm -hmm. Did you ever do anything with David Silverman? I met him, but I didn't do any okay. work with him. Ray and I had lunch with him one time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it was, I mean, seriously, Ray, it was a real cordial and great. friendly time. 19 here. minutes we had the Yeah, we hang, hung out for a long time. He was the then president of the American Atheist. Yeah. You, you honestly would not have guessed it was an atheist sitting down with Christians. We just really interacted. <laughs> You know, our heart is to show the love of Christ, and we genuinely care about him, so there was no effort on our part in that regard. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of times people don't recognize that those that are in the celebrity circles and whatever sort of uh, group it might be, they're people. And they, they, they go to bed at night, and they got the questions in their hearts and minds. And we know, like Scripture talks about in Romans 1, everyone is without excuse. Everyone knows in their heart that God exists, but they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And so these people need a, a loving Christian witness. Uh, real quick, it's funny hearing you drop those names from my perspective, because you, you mentioned earlier, like the godfather of atheism. I, I kind of look at it from a different perspective, because the four horsemen were more like rock stars. Yeah. Like there was Bertrand Russell, and, and there was Nietzsche, and there was, and there was Marx. And so, you know, you've got David Hume. Those were like the godfathers of atheism, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Those were the guys that these guys are reading. What 9-11 right. did is it gave Sam, in my perspective, gave Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and everyone in the atheist community like a freedom to question religion in an outspoken way. And these guys were like the rock stars. Like they, you know, they came onto the scene and, and, and they were just unabashed. Um, they were controversial. They weren't balanced. Where the other guys that I just named, they were balanced and balanced if you can use the word reasonable. So, so I don't know, it's just funny to hear yeah. those names from, you know, thinking back on when all those books were coming out and those guys yeah. were starting to pop. They, they made atheism okay in pop culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they modernized it. And, uh, yeah, it took the baton, really, in a sense. And so they became the faces. I mean, there's so many that wouldn't be familiar with those other guys, yeah. like the younger generation. So to them, you know, these guys are like the main dudes. They're disconnected from that history. You know? And they're more famous for their, um, their, their work against religion rather than like David Hume and Nietzsche. Those guys were philosophers. Bertrand Russell was a philosopher. Yeah. These guys were scientists to a degree, but their, their, their work in science wasn't what made them their money. Their, their work in uh, anti-religious writings is what made them famous yeah. and what made them money. Right. All right, Josh, yeah. so we, we want to hear the story then. So this is everything that's going on. You're hanging out now in the upper echelons of the atheist community, and this little blow-up happens between you and Richard Dawkins. A lawsuit takes place. It's stretched out three and a half years. It's painful, difficult. So when did the foundation begin to crack for you now as an atheist? Um, I, I'm, I'm actually happy to, to hear you say that your atheism wasn't shattered, your foundation wasn't shaken over the Richard Dawkins thing, because I think sometimes that's what people will say, oh, because this, this happened with Richard Dawkins, so now you're going to the other side. So that's not what happened. No. Tell us the story. Yeah, so I, uh, still an atheist after the, the lawsuit, I went on being a software developer, and uh, I was doing that for many years. I was still an atheist, and um, and I really just kind of coasted as an atheist, I guess. You know, yeah. It wasn't something that I I didn't do it for a living anymore. <laughs> I wasn't doing the, uh, I wasn't a polemicist, but I was uh, working as a software engineer in Portland, Oregon. And so we relocated there from LA. And it really wasn't until uh, sort of the pandemic and everything in Portland in 2020 when uh, the city really started to see the rioting, 
and the looting in the city um, all through the summer in 2020 uh, sort of shook me a bit where not only was I seeing what I felt was just new evil on display all around me, but it was the acceptance of the evil Mm -hmm. from people that I was friends with, Mm -hmm. people I worked with, and then the government as well in the city. Yeah, Uh, It was very – they were condoning it. They were participating in it to some extent. Mm -hmm. And it was a moment where I looked around like, well, who, who are these people? You know, like I thought I agreed with these guys and, you know, we were all kind of on the same page. I'm not on this page. And I said, I don't want to be here. So I decided we're going to look for someplace else to live. You know, we were all working remote at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking and we found Waco. We moved to Waco, Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really just about trying to find someplace new, someplace that we thought was maybe a little bit safer. And uh, we settled there, and we were homeschooling my daughter, who, you know, was still at the time about five or six. As atheist? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we were atheist homeschooling. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a rare <laughs> sort of a thing. Yeah. Well, 2020 did a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, right? that's <laughs> true. So we, uh, we decided, yeah, we're going to homeschool her. And part of that, we thought, well, you know, you got to have the socialization. you got to find some way to integrate her in the community. So... So we'll get her 50 chickens. <laughs> <laughs> we did do that. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we started doing a homestead. We, we actually did do a lot of farming and, and got 15 acres and animals. And uh, But we decided we were going to start looking around at churches, sort of. And we're like, well, what do you think about that? What if we showed up at a church, you know? And Really? Yeah, so me and my wife were discussing this. As, you brought oh, it up. But, you, you well, she, she probably brought it up first. Uh-huh. She, we, she said, oh, you see this cowboy church? Uh, on the six, would you say you guys were looking at it like in a more pragmatic way at first? Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah, well, just pause here for a minute. That 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 strikes me as odd. <laughs> in that you go from atheist, and then the thing happens in Portland, and then suddenly it's yeah. What about a church? But like that's a that's a major like leap. Yeah. It so is. was there anything in between? There was no moral foundation in Portland. What was going on? Yeah. Around us, and. I think we were just trying to get to solid ground mm. that we were looking around thinking, well, this isn't where we want to be. You know, it's like we were, you know, on the boat yeah. that was rocking and we're trying to say, well, where do we get off? Right. We found this uh, cowboy church near our house and we thought, well, we could try to go something like that. That sounds just weird enough. That maybe we could <laughs> sit in the back and, and nobody will notice us, you know, as yeah. atheists, not actually believe in any of this, but maybe we can steal some of those benefits, those social benefits, wow. you know, of the yeah. nice, uh, community and the nice people, you know, and, and I mean, I'm very cynical with that. Sure, sure. Uh, so we, we sort of just decided to start going and seeing what it was like and um, got my daughter into Sunday school so she could be <laughs> doing that. You know, in a way, it's like you don't really know what you're doing right. at that moment. You're just kind of, you're, you're yeah. in this fog of, like, well, this seems better than what we were doing. I can remember that. I think God did a work in my heart. I got saved, but then I spent a year confused. And when I first started going to church, it, it felt pragmatic mm. in a way. Like, I know it was faith that was leading me to that. I know that it was God that was guiding me towards that. But uh, I, I've used the phrase a fog as well. It was, mm. it was a fog. It's like uh, the veil is slowly being torn away. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of unwinding to do when you spent so much time reading books and I'm sure making documentaries. Yeah. Do you recall that shift from pragmatism to, like, this is, this is morally good for our daughter and us to – this is what I believe. 
we went for a, a while just pragmatically and oh, but, but still committed atheists like in your hearts and minds you're still like it's a bunch of baloney yeah. let's just go because to me again i'm sorry to interject but that's good i'm trying to connect it because right. in my mind it's almost like like vegans just one day going hey let's go hang out at the slaughterhouse <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? it's not like you're like well maybe there's a god i've been wondering it's more like idiots but let's go hang out and like get some friends kind of thing yeah and okay. we both kind of i remember the first time we went in there we both kind of looked at each other like can you believe we're here like when's the last time we stepped foot in a church <laughs> so you cool, know man i love but, it but it was a cowboy church you know the pastor's got a cowboy hat you know everybody's yeah. got cowboy hats it feels a little bit different than the church yeah. that i was familiar with and, yeah um but it was you know i do like you're saying you know i felt led sort of there's a fog but you know that you're being led in that moment there and you know, guys are talking about a fog, and the book of Acts it talks about men groping, mm-hmm. searching for God. Uh, yeah. As blind men. Yeah. And I, I remember I had the same experience six months before I got saved. I was groping. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what I was looking for until I found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird experience. Wow. You know, you're going to church, you're listening to the sermon, you're hearing it, and you're going, well, a lot of crazy stuff in the Bible, you know, I don't know if I'll buy all this. <laughs> and, and I think there's a lot of of that going on for a while in my life where there was, you know, a lot of weeks or months where that's kind of how I, I felt. Yeah. And, um, but what it did lead me to do was say, okay, I see the, the community, the people that are going, maybe I should give it a better shake, a fairer shake. Mm-hmm. So I started reading the Bible. What did you read? I read the new Testament through first. Wow. That's what I did. Uh, did you start with the genealogy? I did start with the genealogies, yeah. You're like, probably be right <laughs> But, yeah, I just read through, and, and when I got done with that, I was like, I, I thought to myself, well, that's something, but there's still a lot of crazy stuff in here that I don't think I buy, no. you know. And I thought back to, as an atheist, watching a documentary that was somebody else had made called The God Who Wasn't There. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it had a whole section on Jesus not existing. And I remember how I just bought that as soon as I watched it. But, you know, it wasn't that I studied it, not that I sat and dissected details yeah. of Jesus' life. It was just like, oh, this documentary is telling me that it is. And like, yeah, sure, great. <laughs> and I thought, well, do I buy this or not? You know, do I buy what is being told here? Do I believe Jesus was a person? Did he live? And, and I sort of written that off completely when I was younger, that he didn't live at all. Yeah. So I read uh, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. Uh, which was a big book for me uh, in that moment where, oh, there's all this evidence around Jesus' life. And, you know, it wasn't just a mythological evolution of tale uh, over a few hundred years. But, no, it was actually written very closely after Jesus' life and, um, and all the other corroborating evidence and all the evidence around the death and resurrection and, so then, Josh, at what point then did you finally recognize, I believe that this, this Jesus is the Messiah. He did rise. He did die and rise again, and I need to repent and surrender my life to him. Yeah, that was, I think, shortly after reading Case for Christ. That was when I had to, I had to deal with the fact that it was real, mm-hmm. that Jesus was real. Yeah. That's, to me, the defining piece, that you have Jesus actually lived, he actually died and he actually rose. And I have to deal with that. I can't I can't just push that aside and say, Oh, it's a myth. Mm. Like, no, this is a real event. Um and then I'm being asked to do something. I'm being asked. So 
it's, it's a personal thing between him and me. And I think that's where it kind of struck differently, you know, and, and I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> this is it, you know, and that was the domino where, I mean, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of, of still fog and transition that comes around before and after all of that. But, yeah. but that was really, I think it was Jesus is who he says he is. And that's, I think that's the hardest thing for a non-believer to cross over. Yeah. Um, and what year was this? I mean, this is probably all through 2020 and maybe even 21. Uh, you know, it's kind of like about a two-year span. Yeah. And so the, this is relatively recent. What happened from there, man? I mean, did your life just radically transform? Did you then begin to, like, really connect with the people at the church? Well, I read a lot. <laughs> I started reading my Bible, and I started reading a lot of books around it. You know, I, I really I love books around the history of the Bible. And, you know, I feel like when I was younger, I didn't really get – all of the the, uh, the trimmings around the Bible of you know who who wrote this mm-hmm. when and you know I didn't have a study Bible growing up I had a King James you know and that was it. Um, you come to the point where you accept that Jesus lived and died and rose, but also the fact that he lived a sinless life is a big piece of character witness. Mm-hmm. That he's also telling you a bunch of other stuff, a lot of crazy stuff you might say, mm-hmm. but. Who else are you going to believe than somebody who has lived a sinless life? You know, as a perfect character witness, right? Mm-hmm. And and then when you start looking at the things he says, you go, okay, you know, he's, you know, uh, the things he's saying about, as, as Ray reminds us in every video of uh, the, the lust in your heart, yeah. you know, those sins, they're they're so, it hits you differently when it's not just, oh, these are old tales, right? And it's like, no, this is sin, and it hits differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so then as Oscar was asking, what happened with your wife? Yeah, our, I mean, our journey was an interesting sort of weave, I think both of us, sort of around the same time and, and having a lot of conversations and wrestling with stuff and where, you know, we, you know, in the beginning when it was just sort of, uh, you know, us atheists in the back of the church, there's more coming home and I would say things like, like yeah, it was nice, but. I just can't get on board with all the truth claims or, you know, those kind of those statements where I was like, yeah, I just can't get on board with this or that. And, and she'd kind of bite her lip. And I think she would kind of have moments where she was on her own journey. You know, we're both, you know, I think it was a big turn for both of us yeah. to come around. Finally, both of you acknowledged, like, there had to be that day where I was like, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we both really believed. Yeah, it, it definitely was. I think that there was. You know, there's a time when you actually start praying together. You're mm-hmm. like, let's let's start. Yeah. We're doing this. Yeah. We started just being very open with each other. I think for a while, maybe you're kind of in silos where yeah. we're we're kind of wrestling, and then you're like, are you with the talk? Yeah, like, <laughs> are we still doing this out of lip service, or you know, like. It, but also, I think a lot of conversations, like you know, as I'm reading Case for Christ, I'm talking to her about it. And yeah. yeah. Like, Did you know this? Did you know this? And uh, you know, it's, you know, I was just thinking about this book that I read a couple of years ago called Longing to Know with uh, the author of Esther Meek. She's a philosopher, and she talks about, like, the nature of knowing. And she says that one of the things that she points out is, and her, along with Charles Taylor and others, point out that that human beings are just really bad at knowing. Like, we're actually really terrible at going out there and gathering truth for ourselves. We've got a confirmation bias. We've got the nature of reason and logic just is really difficult. We often find ourselves in circular reasoning and issues like that. But the thing she points out is that knowledge, uh, we think that it's gathering information. Like the more information that I gather, the better I will know. 
but she uses a, a, uh, a sort of a, a word picture to explain what it actually means to know. Um, and so she talks about, like, learning how to ride a bike. And so she tells the story about her dad, how he, like, puts her on these two wheels, and she's like, what is this contraption? She's five years old. She thinks it's weird looking. He finds a hill. She's looking down the hill and thinking, I'm going to die. You know, he didn't believe in training wheels, and he was just like, all you got to do. <laughs> she tells the story. She's like, and, he, and the dad says, all you have to do is balance. And she's five. She's like, what is balance? You know, and so he shoves her down this hill and he's screaming, balance, balance. And she has no idea what she's doing. Falls a couple times. The way she puts it is she had the information. She had the bike. She had the information about balance. She had the hill, right? But she didn't know. And so she says, like, knowledge comes when all those things in an experiential way come together. And, and she calls it, like, that moment when you learn to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. No more information could be done. She had to experience the knowing in order that she knew. And I think mm -hmm. and many times, like, our, our gathering of information, reading books like The Case for Christ, and, you know, understanding the pragmatic aspect is maybe knowledge number one. Mm -hmm. You know, and so these things start to come together, and in that moment of actually knowing is when the Spirit kind of hits us with that stamp of going, now you see, now you see how all of this comes together. I shudder to think how he told you to swim. Yeah, well, this is, this is just amazing. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking you got to, you got to. A Jew on one side, an Arab on one side, two former atheists in the middle, an Arab Jew sandwich kind of, you know. It's just amazing to, to think about what God's Spirit does in our hearts, how he opens our eyes and really lifts the veil. Yeah. It's what it is, you know. And, and sometimes it's things that you have seen a thousand times, but suddenly when God gives you eyes to see, now you just see all different dimensions of them in a whole new way. Another thing I wanted to add, when... I did come to this decision to say that, yes, I accept Jesus is who he says he is and that I'm, I'm taking him seriously in that moment. Uh, I didn't have an answer for every atheist thought that had come before from the past 20 years. Yeah. What about this? Well, what about this? What do you think about this? Are you saying you believe this now? What do you think about this? I don't have any of those answers. You know, you're still – you're still thinking through everything, you know, but, but that conviction is there in the moment, that seed, that initial piece that right. you know is, is true. And, and you're like, well, the rest of it will figure itself out. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, I've, I've said it like it's, it's like having a really nice sweater and finding that one thread, you know, and you start pulling on it. Mm -hmm. And after a while it starts to unravel. That was my experience. Like I found Jesus as my thread mm -hmm. and I started to pull on that thread and, and it took some, I didn't have an answer for everything at first, but yeah. slowly, but surely like this sweater of atheism. Think of John chapter nine, you know, the, the blind man that Jesus healed. Mm -hmm. And they say, he's a sinner. He said, I don't know if he's a sinner. One thing I do know, once I was blind, but now I yeah. Wow. Yeah. Rachel and I were reading that last night actually. And, just that thought of, yeah, look, here's what I know. This is who I was, and this is what he did. I don't know, but you guys figured that out. This is what I know. I've been transformed. Yeah. And that's the one thing that every believer universally can attest to. Uh, we may have different journeys of how we came to the Lord, but all of us can attest to the fact that we were transformed, and our eyes were open, and, and suddenly our perspective of this 
one, Christ, was radically transformed. Um, you know, I, I love this quote by Mount Mugridge. He, he talks about, you know, who Christ is. And then also he says, behind the debris of the fallings of our stolen supermen and imperial diplomatists lies the gigantic figure of one man because of whom, by whom, through whom, and in whom mankind may still survive the person of Jesus Christ. And, um, <laughs> you know, once, once you've tasted of him, you can testify to the words of Paul the Apostle who said that he counted all things as rubbish in comparison to knowing him. You know, all things are lost compared to Christ. And, and so, Josh, what a blessing to hear that that's been your experience as it is ours. Yeah. Real quick here. That's all I got for Truth Be Told Radio. Once again, I was uh, interviewed. Um, that was Richard Dawson's ex-right-hand man comes to Christ. And that's from Living Waters, their YouTube uh, channel. And guys, go out with Yancey and friends and the VIBLE. Bye for now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.